Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. title of our series is the DNA of a disciple and uh, last week we talked about the priority of love and today we're going to be considering the measure of love. Love is an, an incredible subject it's um, sometimes so vast it's daunting to try to figure out just exactly where to approach the subject and how to apply it because there are so many uh, applications and certainly as it as it um, connects to our lives as born-again believers. I want to turn our attention today to the writings of the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to begin reading with verse number 4. Paul says, Charity, or love, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. If you've been living very long, you understand the Apostle Paul was not just throwing a few eloquent words out to impress an audience. It was not just something written to try to Um, to perhaps become a a plaque on a wall. But there is so much truth to that, that love, love is so enduring, true love, can just stand and withstand things that we would think at a glance would cause the greatest empire to crumble. But love can hold it together against all odds. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. In the scripture, we're introduced to a man by the name of Barnabas. In his lifetime, he left a mark on the world that simply cannot be denied. It is that indelible print in the sands of time. He was not noted as a great teacher or or preacher, was not really noted for anything concerning a dynamic leadership, and he didn't really have a great following. None of these things seemed to fill his resume But the one thing that does fill his resume seems to be of such great importance that it was noted for us. John said if everything were written that could be written, the world couldn't contain it. So we are led then not to assume but to firmly believe that what we have before us is greatly worthy of our time. And so he he wasn't some of these other things, but according to Acts 4, Barnabas was a great encourager. Now, it's, it's not hard to, uh, to realize today in the world that we live in how important it is to be around people that are encouraging. 
I'm not talking about somebody just empty pats on the back or someone that just uh, sounds sort of like a perpetual cheerleader in our ear. I, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about those people that when they walk away, when your conversation has ended, you just feel refreshed. You feel like somebody just breathed life into you. I think we all know people that carry the opposite spirit with them that when they walk away, you feel drained and depleted and you wonder what just happened. <laughs> and so it's wonderful when you have people in your life that are an encourager. I'm not talking about giving you attaboys and, and uh, being a yes man or yes person in your life, but just that spirit of encouragement. I have friends that when I get off the phone with them, I just want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father, a better pastor, a better leader. I just, I'm thankful for encouraging voices in my life. The reason that Barnabas was referred to as an encourager is seen a few, to, a few times throughout his life and ministry. But one reason in particular uh, comes to bear in Acts chapter 9. It was here that another man tried to join the church. He tried to join this team of, of preachers and believers in Jerusalem. And uh, there was a problem. The problem was his name. And the problem was his past. His name was Saul of Tarsus, and before his conversion, he had, been a, he had been an avid persecutor of Christians. He left behind him a trail of blood and guts. It was not a pretty sight at all. As a matter of fact, anyone who was a Christian who, who knew Saul or knew anything about him would tremble, no doubt, at the very mention of his name because he thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting and killing Christians. But after a divine encounter with the Lord on, on, on the way to Damascus, God unlocked something in his heart and his life. And in a moment of time, he had a revelation and, and he had been converted. And not only had he converted to Christianity, but he became a minister of the gospel himself. And so it was a little bit hard as the word of this began to first trickle out. It would be easy to suspect that he's only saying this so he can get close to us and infiltrate our camp. And so you can only imagine the great sense of fear, real fear, that existed among these, among these brethren. Amen. But, but they were, they were skeptical, skeptical, and they had a right to be. They absolutely had a right to be. But it was right here at this intersection of fear and uncertainty that Barnabas steps up to the plate. And he didn't just stand up, but he spoke up. Barnabas... He was an encourager. He was a peacemaker. And Barnabas did what he was gifted to do. And that was to encourage, to bring peace and speak peace into situations. And I'm thankful for people that possess that level of giftedness today. And so sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we think if we're not a musician or a singer or, or if we haven't been overseas on some missions trip or missions field that we're not called to do anything of grand importance in the kingdom of God. But I submit to you today that, that every person and every body of believers needs someone that can just be that person that's a voice of reason, someone that can just bring peace into a situation. Maybe all of us, or at least most of us, can think of someone that you know in your life. They just carry the spirit of peace with them and you just feel better when they walk into your presence. They don't really have to say a lot. They don't really have to do a lot. 
but they just bring with them a spirit of encouragement. You just know when you see them, it's going to be all right. No matter that the wind is blowing or the, the, no matter that the storms are raging, I just believe that everything is going to be all right. For many of us, and, and uh, there were parents or grandparents or influencers in our lives, guardians who brought that level of security, just their presence. You just knew everything was going to be all right. They had the ability to bring that kind of peace. And so this man with this great gift, not an orator necessarily, not a great leader that we can find in Scripture, there's not a trail of all number of churches that were built as an end result of his life and ministry but here's a man that was gifted to do something and he was willing to step up at the right time and just do what he did best. He stepped up and he spoke up. He assured those that were concerned about the past of the Apostle Paul they, that he had indeed received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, he was just underlining that he has received the same experience that you and I have experienced. And because of that, we need to be able to trust him. Now here's what I see from this is that Barnabas was not a man that just started exercising this gift right here at this particular intersection. These men already trusted him. They already believed him. They already knew we can count on his word. We can rest in that. That's just the kind of man that he was. It's interesting that years later Barnabas found himself in another quite awkward situation his cousin, a man we know as John Mark, had, had joined Paul on a missionary journey. And sometime during that journey, for reasons that are really not clear in Scripture, that John Mark decided to return home. And this just didn't set well with the Apostle Paul. He got angry about that. It's amazing that he so quickly forgot that this was the man <laughs> that even got you elected on the team to begin with, right? And that's another story for another time, I guess. But... but uh, and so later when Mark wanted to join Paul and Barnabas on another missionary journey, Paul rose up against that. And he said, well, I don't want to have any, you know, we've got to remember the last time this guy quit. And nobody wants to be around quitters. And so that disagreement was so strong until they just decided the best thing we can do is we'll just form two teams. We're not going to fight about this. So Paul went with Silas and Barnabas. He said, I'll take I'll take John Mark. I'll take the quitter. I'll take the man that chickened out halfway through the last venture. I'll take him. Amen. Paul and Silas goes one way. Barnabas and Mark the other way. And each team in their own right impacted, impacted many lives through their own respective ministries. Thankfully, Barnabas didn't stop being an encourager. He didn't deny the fact that John had left or Mark had left. He didn't deny the fact that all of this played out. It was true, it did happen. But I'm glad he kept believing in him. And I'm glad that he kept grooming him. And I'm glad that he kept mentoring him. And because of that, we have a book in the Bible called the book of Mark. Amen, because somebody said, well, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep speaking to him and I'm going to keep speaking into his life. And I'm thankful for that. And then years later in 2 Timothy 4 and 11, we find this aging apostle Paul, amen, here is in, in some of the waning hours of his life. He says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable unto me 
for the ministry. So somewhere along the line, even the Apostle Paul began to realize I was wrong. And this man is profitable not only for the kingdom of God, but he is profitable unto me. And so I think that that ought to teach each and every one of us a powerful lesson in that, that when we see some we don't, someone we don't always agree with, I know that only happens every 10 or 12 years, but when you see somebody that you don't agree with, you need to understand before you get out your eraser and try to remove their name from the Lamb's book of life, they are profitable unto the Lord. And if they're profitable unto him, if you hang around long enough with an open mind, you might see where one day they're going to be profitable for you in your life and what God has called you to do. Amen. I'm thankful today for the, for the body of Christ. I'm thankful for the church. I try to say that to the Lord as often as I can. Amen. I try to say it multiple times a week. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. And so to be a disciple of the Lord is to love one another and encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And yet we understand this, that one of the greatest benefits and one of the greatest challenges of being a part of the body of Christ is living in a relationship with fellow believers. It can be very challenging sometimes. <laughs> it's then during those trying seasons when someone's getting on your nerves that you have to realize most likely I'm getting on somebody else's nerves myself because none of us have a pedestal. I mean, you may have one, but it's not a real one. <laughs> you need to put it on eBay and get rid of it. None of us have a right to be on a pedestal. We all, we all rub and we all get rubbed. Amen. That's the absolute truth. And so in those trying seasons, we need to have the Lord help us to give us some instruction and some wisdom how to navigate through those times. It is, it is the clo I found this, that the closer you work with someone and the closer you do life with someone, the more exposed we are to their character flaws. When you first started dating your companion, there was no wrong. No wrong. Absolutely no wrong. Didn't have, they didn't have to comb their hair in the morning. They didn't need to brush their teeth in the morning. I mean, they just rose. <laughs> they just levitated out of the bed in the morning. They looked just like they looked when you saw them on Friday night for your date. That's just how they did life. But then the closer you got to that situation, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the closer you got to that situation, character flaws. You started realizing that there's a few wrinkles in the fabric here. There's a, this is not all that meets the eye. There are some traits that are not so obvious in casual relationships. But the closer you get to that person, they become more and more magnified. And we can only focus on the flaws if we want but I'll tell you that also some character traits that are positive and strong and very valuable, those get magnified as well. And this doesn't change just simply because we're in the church and we receive the Holy Ghost and we're baptized in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, loving those who are a part of the church can sometimes be challenging. Perhaps, I'm glad Brother Rayleigh added all this. He's doing a good job, isn't he? <laughs> and the, In the, in the inside of 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, the Bible says charity suffereth long and charity is kind. 
And so loving one another as Christ taught us is, is lived out by doing and not by feeling. Because love is not just a feeling. Love is in the doing. And so fellow believers' attitudes and actions can often cause us to be impatient, times even angry and frustrated. And, 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 and it's in those seasons that we have to stand on the word of God and realize that God put them in the body because he saw need of them. And I had better not get so arrogant that I think they are unimportant to the body. Jesus declared to his first disciples a new and a revolutionary command in John 13 and 34. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Amen. He clarified how we are to love one another as I have loved you. In that yet while we were yet sinners, amen, he loved us. And, and so we can think of that as pre-conversion. But do you know that he still loves us in our failures and with our flaws and all the things that we thought we would have worked out by now, he still loves us, and I'm thankful for that. The disciples were men of uh, differing backgrounds. There was a diversity of personality types. There were just all kinds of people that were pooled together to form this network of ministry. Some were fishermen. I mean, they were rugged men. They knew what it was like to be out in the ocean. They knew what it was like to have a sunburned brow. and They knew what it was, a rough life, a hard life, calloused hands. There were others that were tax collectors. They worked in an office somewhere and, and they, they weren't exposed to the elements. They had to deal with people in a different white light and in a different way. And God merged all of these personalities together and said, I need you as a ministry team. And, and that's what the church is still made up of today. Diverse backgrounds, all kind of personalities. Some people that are just so easy to love and they're just so easy to understand. And then some people that are very complex and their personalities perhaps, days they don't even understand themselves. But the Lord said, you need to love them like I loved you. Yet, and so Jesus actively demonstrated his, his love and his patience and the type of love that he was commanding had little to do with feeling. He used the word love as a verb. It's an action word. We've got to demonstrate that love, show that love. The kind of love that Jesus is referring to is an intentional love. You know, we talk about love in, a, in the most accidental form. We fail in love. Like a big chasm opened up and we tripped headlong into it. But love is a choice. Love is intentional. Amen. We decided. We made a decision. This is what I'm going to do. One key example of showing this kind of love is to love through the venue of fellowship. And so that's why we try as a church to place such emphasis on fellowship and the things that we do here at church. This coming Friday night, we have uh, our, our sweetheart banqueter. And so it's, it's not just because we were scared people were bored and you had a big gap in your calendar. But we understand something. It's not about the meal. It's not about the menu. It's not about where we gather. It's about that we gather. That we come together and there is strength in that. Amen. We don't want to take away from our times of prayer and 
We don't want to take away from our time the corporate fasting and we don't want to take away our times of coming together on our scheduled, regular scheduled services to worship the Lord and to let the Spirit of God have His way. That is such an important part of what we do, but can I tell you that that's half the pair of scissors. The other half of the pair of scissors that makes all of this work is that we just come together when we're not praying and when we're not fasting and when we're not singing. Why? Because we need irons sharpening iron amen I don't want to get ahead of myself but but you see sometimes uh, I've said often when you go to conferences and and to a degree this can happen even in a local church but I've said often when you go to a conference that I feel like I spoke to everybody and talked to nobody we were just kind of ships passing in the night we're in the lobby and we're in the hall and and uh, well, hi, some people we haven't seen in years and how's your family and how's this and how's that and you almost don't even stop walking and so we're speaking but we're not talking we're not sitting down and learning anything about what's going on some updates in people's lives and, and if we're not careful that same thing can happen even in a local church we can get here just a few minutes before church and and uh, walk in sit down in our favorite place after we have parked in our favorite spot and we come in and now we're going to worship a little bit and then the service is going to end and before you know it we just filter right back out we have spoken to a few people but we have talked to very few and so fellowship is a great arm and a great extension and I want to thank the leaders of our church that look down the road and say you know this would be a great time for us to just sit down together and let's just enjoy one another's company it's important that we worship together but it is also vital that we fellowship together and it would be the devil's pleasure it would be the devil's pleasure to crowd all that I don't have time to do that I don't have time to do this but let me tell you something if you make time for worship we ought to make time for fellowship it is vital to our existence and if the Lord will help me amen if the Lord will help me I want to underline that even more so in the hour in which we live because there is a very disturbing trend in, of, of individualism and isolation in the world in which we live today it is a reality whether we want to acknowledge it or not we have all sorts of new technologies and conveniences that that at first glance connect us. I've said often that we live in a more connected society than any generation before us, and that is true. But at the same time, we could just put not a period in that sentence, but a comma and say, and yet we are more disconnected than we have ever been in our life. Amen. These new technologies, they largely contribute to anti-socialism and and that contributes to the spirit of loneliness hear me a few months ago sister Amanda Gibson mentioned the book entitled 12 ways your phone your smartphone is changing you I want to refer back to that for just a moment in it the author makes this statement he says smartphones and social media were supposed to cure the epidemic of loneliness We would all be connected and none of us would ever feel alone. But he says the harsh reality is that we we are always lonely, even in a crowd. And now even more so, we are alone in a digital crowd. Alone, alone. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. In the absence of our youth today, I want to just take a little liberties. Sometimes people are quick to grab the trigger of young people being on their tablets and young people being on their smartphone. But I mean, we need to get real. Because it's not just limited to youth. Amen. Amen. Oh, grab it and pull it close to your heart. Because <laughs> I'm fixing to talk about it. It separates us. It divides us. You walk in any restaurant in any city in America. And there are people that are sitting at a table that never even speak to themselves. They're just on the phone. They're just checking whatever they're checking. It don't matter. Uh, I don't want to think I've got any hobby horses today. I don't. Amen. I'm just telling you that we are living in this world that is separating us. The false sense that we're connected. The false security that we are connected. But we are not. We're connected to a lot of things, but we're disconnected from one another. Katie Couric warned in Time Magazine, she said, constant connectivity can leave you feeling isolated and disconnected, so do not be seduced by the false intimacy of social media. We are able to connect to our friends around the world in an immeasurable split seconds. We are in a, we're able to just connect and communicate around the world, but what's happened on a local level is we get more and more and more disconnected. And so it's no surprise that being a disciple mandates fellowship with one another. Amen. Times that we need to set that down. Times that we need to turn it off. I mean, my wife, and I do as well, but I'm just saying my wife has some hard, fast rules when we have family time at our house. The phones are somewhere else. And the calls will wait. And if it is an emergency, we will get back to that. Amen. But right now, we've got to understand the value of, of being disconnected. There's a lot of things that are being contributed to never being able to have a, a, be away from the demands of life. There, I don't want to meander too far today, but I will tell you that it is, it is affecting the, psych, the, the, psych, the psychology of, of humanity because we are never, ever, ever away. Never. Because we have something in our pocket that can just, someone can just, you ever got a text message that caused you anxiety? I get them fairly regular. I'll just think about sometimes how nice it was that I would have normally, years ago, I would have only got that message when I got back home. And the light on the answering service was blinking. And so I would have had that 40 minutes. Or four hours. Or whatever. It would have been mine. Special, warm and fuzzy time. That just got blown to oblivion. Because someone said, I need to talk to you. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I need to move on, don't I? It's not just me. We're all, we're all there. We're all there. Now, I'm not suggesting that we put all this stuff on eBay and move to a cave in Montana. It's the world in which we live. And so we got to be proactive. we got to do something about it. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to set this aside. 
I'm not going to let social media and things of that nature let me pretend that I'm connected to everybody else when I'm really not connected. And so I need to spend time, intentional time, with my brothers and my sisters, not blow into church at church time. Amen. <clears throat> Honestly, I believe I hear people using the remote start on their vehicle and we start dismissing the service. Woom. Just waiting. Like horses in the starting blocks. Chill out. Hang around. Amen. I'm glad Brother Rayleigh didn't show up. And I'm sure glad he put all this in the notes. We need to... <laughs> Boy, next month, y'all going to be checking on him, leading up. How you feeling? <laughs> We've been praying for you. We need to dial it back and just say, hey... This stuff away. I need this time together, Amen. We need we need our our homes filled with with people that can come and sit down and let's just talk and have have some time together. We need to take the time to sit down. We certainly need our times together in fellowship at the church. Don't discount that. Times of fellowship are as important as our times of worship because we're going to learn how to work through some things. You never know what some people can bring to the table and what they can give you. Amen. We're not just talking about church attendance. That's a vital part of what we're doing. But these times together, amen, they're just refreshing. They can be refreshing and, and such, an, such an important part of our overall spiritual fellowship and well-being. And so that's why we should not think it's strange that the enemy tries to work overtime to keep us away from those times of fellowship. And so I got to be intentional. I got to push back. I'll confess I'm made out of the same thing you're made out of. We've got something scheduled in our calendar with an event that we need to attend. And, and when you look around all the things that you got going on, it would be so easy to just write that off and excuse it. So I'm just going to stay home and, and you know, I, I'm going to miss that this year and I'm going to miss that this time. Amen. That's the enemy's pleasure to separate, to keep you divided. Amen. We ought to intentionally push back against that. Hebrews 10 and 24 stress this. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works another translation says we ought to consider how and ways that we can encourage one another encourage one another amen that can only be effectively accomplished when we develop a relationship with others people that can encourage us Hebrews 10 and 25 the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching Amen. Somebody to exhort us to keep up the good work. Somebody that, that can lift us up. Somebody that can breathe life and strengthen us. Oh, how valuable they are to the kingdom of God and how valuable they are to the local assembly. Amen. This is not exclusive or necessary to accomplish just through church attendance. As I as I mentioned, amen, the early disciples, they met in homes. They fellowshiped together. They encouraged one another to do good works. The natural result was that the church grew and the disciples loved and, the, and they fellowshiped with one another and then their bonds became tighter. Amen. The things that held them together, they found out those common, those common denominators that held them together. Amen. It was the combination of meeting in the temple and then meeting from house to house. And as such, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
A further manner in which we love one another is to sacrifice in our helping of one another. Not just be involved if it doesn't cost us anything or time or effort or energy or dollars. And this is not just limited to people with great resources. There are several places in Scripture, I think, where we can see this demonstrated. And perhaps one great example is when the church in Macedonia responded to the church to the need of the church in Jerusalem. Second Corinthians 8 and 2, Paul in essence said this. He said, in spite of being very poor, they were generous in helping their fellow disciples. Despite what the, the bank account said, you were still generous in what you did to help. And uh, you know, as long as the enemy can keep us convinced that we've got nothing we can add, we've got nothing that we could bring, then we will add nothing and we will bring nothing. But I'll tell you today, as modern day disciples, we must strive to be generous regardless of the economic status because it's not about the amounts that are given, but it's about the, the willingness to act in love and to respond with what we do have. Praise God. That type of love can be demonstrated by helping those sometimes that are struggling financially or, or helping to support other church efforts or supporting missions not only across our nation but around the world to make sure that they are doing well. And so if it was all left up to just one person, oh, how cumbersome that task would be. But when we all work together and we all pool our resources, what great things can be done and accomplished for the kingdom of God. Amen. Loving disciples includes spiritually challenging one another. And I want to go back to the individualization of our culture even among Christians, we have kind of developed a, uh, an attitude that just says, I'll tell you what, you stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine. But that's not biblical. I didn't say you stay in my business and I'll stay in yours. But we need to understand the fact of how important it is that we have one another. What a joy it is to have one another. Hebrews thirteen and or 3 and 13 exhort one another daily. He said, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And in fact, we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible. What you're going through does matter to the whole body. Your well-being is important to us. In fact, the Galatian church was, was given very specific and explicit instruction on what they should do if a fellow disciple is overcome by sin. Paul said in Galatians that ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thine own self lest thou also be tempted. What Paul was really trying to say is this could be you. And so just whatever mercy you think you would want to walk in the door, you walk in the door carrying that same amount of mercy. Ever what kind of tenderness that you think it ought to be dealt with, then you deal with that in that same measure of ten tenderness. You know, I, I say this with great, great deference to those who work in the medical field, but I think at some point or another we've been exposed to each side of this. We've been exposed to physicians and nurses who were very... Uh, understanding and very gentle and very tender and very kind but we've also been exposed to those that have been so overexposed to pain 
Their idea is just, you know, this is going to be a little pressure. <laughs> you may pass out as a result of that pressure. But just, just a little pressure. Just, you know, just, they've just lost the reality of, and we're just going to take care of this and, and, and I'll be over. And, and they are just dealing with everything from an intellectual point of view and not from a compassionate point of view. And so if we had a choice to walk through the door and see physician A or physician B, there would be a long line formed where you could find compassion and understanding. And they may have to do the same procedure, but but it's going to be meted out with a tenderness and there's going to be there's going to be some compassion in those eyes and they're going to understand and that's where I want to be. Paul reminded the church at Rome that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and so put your pencil up. This could be you. Love them and restore them. You know, Paul also uh, in another passage, forgive me for not remembering the scripture right offhand, but Paul also makes this reference in another passage in, in one of the epistles about uh, I believe in one of the epistles about if, if someone is overtaken in trouble and sorrow and peril, that you don't just keep piling on and add the phrase that he uses is overmuch sorrow. I mean, I mean, don't just keep piling on. You ever seen a football game where they already got the guy down? And people just keep, you know, you're 20 people deep. I mean, he's down. And so that's what Paul is referring to. That's what I think about when I read that scripture, that overmuch sorrow, where Paul is saying they're, they're already on the brink. They're already on the edge. They, they're already as fragile as porcelain. Don't just keep adding to it because there is a point of overmuch sorrow. There is a point where anybody will break and they don't need somebody to ask why they swam past the barrier. They don't ask need somebody to ask why they fell asleep at the wheel. They don't need somebody in the ambulance to ask why you ran the red light. They just need somebody now to just sew the wounds and set the bones and, and see me through this bad decision or this lapse moment in judgment. The most loving thing we can do is to, and especially to those that are lost, is just to model the love of, of God in our actions and in our, interact, in, in our interactions with them. I believe that every person that we deal with by way of service, if it is a clerk behind the counter, if it is a waitress that is in a restaurant or a waiter at a restaurant, I think that when we walk away after an exchange, they ought to wonder what manner of person is this. Amen. We've all watched people get up and walk out of restaurants and it looked like there was more food on the floor than was served. And they're also wondering what manner of person is this. But people ought to be able to wonder just by the actions and your interaction and the smile and, and just our hospitality and and we can be kind. I mean, there's no charge for being kind. The Bible says in the book of Jude, 20, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord, 
Jesus Christ into eternal life. And, and then, then Jude says this, and some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So by all means, whatever it takes, we must reach into the heart and lives of people and, and help them to be different and help them to realize there is a difference and, and we have met the change maker. True discipleship understands that, that we are born again and we've been, according to Acts 1 and 8, empowered to be witnesses. And I think we're also empowered to witness, but we're empowered to be witnesses. I think we're empowered to sit down with people and teach them the word of God, rightly divide the word of truth and help them to see the plan of salvation. But God has also enabled us to be witnesses unto him that people can see something in your life and they can, you can walk away and they can just be left with an odor in their heart saying, you know what, there's just something different about that man. There's something different about that lady. There's something different about that young person. Amen, I'm thankful for that. I close with this. Um, several years ago, I read a book entitled, by, entitled The Eye of the Storm written by Max Licato. He shared a story, and I have used this illustration many times through the years, but bear with me because there's a tremendous truism here. In one chapter, he tells the story of a fishing trip with his dad and a friend. And due to an unforeseen storm, they were not able to fish, and they were confined to a little camper where they were just for there for days just playing games and sleeping and eating. They could not fish because of the weather. Max Licato said it was all right for a while, but eventually they started getting on each other's nerves and bickering. And that led him to one very important conclusion. And that was this. When fishermen don't fish, they fight. And I'm going to tell you, let's stand. I'm going to tell you for a fact that after 31 years of pastoral observation, this principle is not limited to fishermen because when the church that is called to be fishers of men don't fish, we fight. And I have to take off the baptismal waiters and I have to take off the clergy clothes and I have to put on a referee hat and buy a whistle and separate and say, now, 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 let's all get along. Is this all right? Let's all love each other. What happened is we stopped fishing. We got our eyes off the prize and we got our eye off the goal. But when we're working, when you're just working and we've got something in common, amen, where we're all lifting the same load and we're walking the same way, God just blesses and ordains the effort. Amen. The measure of love. I want to love and realize the world is filled with hurting people. And they need you and I to love them. But we can't love them if we don't love us. Amen. That's, that's false. Amen. That's like me and my wife. I'll just use us for an example. It's like me just talking to her like she's a dog. Talking to her like she's trash. And then everywhere we go, I'm just complimenting her. I just morph somewhere between the house and the vehicle into somebody else she don't even know. She may not say a word, but she has zero respect for me. And I treat everybody else wonderful, 
Amen. Well, I'm just talking about us, but you know I'm not talking about us, don't you? I'm talking about when we just treat everybody else wonderful and we everybody and, and then we get together and we can't treat one another with that same measure of respect and love, there's something wrong. And we need the Spirit of the Lord to help us. Lord, I love you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.